Hello and welcome to the Jackcast, your Swansea City podcast. I'm Matt Brock and I'm joined as ever by Steve Carroll. Evening, Steve. Evening. And those who've been following us on Twitter a little earlier on will also know that we're delighted to be joined by none other than journalist and Swansea City fan, Stuart James. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here, Matt. Thanks very much for having me back on again and good to see you as well, Steve. We were talking a little bit earlier on when we still about, um, I think the last time we've been on this pod together, I think you were on once when I when I wasn't on, but I think it was just before the Cardiff away game where we did a double last season. Um, so we'll start off talking on the pitch, we'll start that yeah. game in particular. It was the start again of the promise of what we were hoping to happen this season, that sort of quicker football, that more purposeful attacking style. Um, there's been that promise and anticipation football-wise there, wasn't there? But unfortunately and frustratingly, a lot of it and a lot of the issues we saw last year, they just stayed the same. Yeah, it's been a bizarre uh, season. Going back to that Cardiff game, Cracky, that was another one that Steve um, tried to talk me into going to and another one where I really should have listened to him and didn't. Uh, so, yeah, deep regrets at not going to that brilliant performance. Yeah, it's been frustrating, Matt, hasn't it? There's been uh, We just haven't found that consistency been a strange season in so many ways. I think I'm right in saying we had nine points from the first nine games and it was really underwhelming. Uh, and then we went on a really good run where we won something like seven out of nine and um, it's looking very promising. And then we sort of badly lose our way again. Um, so, yeah, some um, some real issues around trying to get that momentum and maintaining it. And see signs of promise and then other occasions I mean I went to the Reading game with Steve and I was so disappointed in that performance I thought we were really poor against what I don't consider to be a good championship team and then I remember getting to I think was it the Friday that week we were playing Watford at home and um, I've never I'm never normally like this but it was a it was a cold night and I was thinking I was pretty knackered oh I'm gonna go over do the 160 mile round trip tonight and um, and in the end, yeah, I went over obviously with the little man and then you go and witness a brilliant Swansea performance and we completely outplay Watford 4-0 and, and you're thinking, yeah, we've cracked it again. Um, now, I didn't. So, so yeah, we, we seem to be able to sort of a, a Jekyll and Hyde team, I guess, in that respect. I didn't see the Burnley game, but I gather we were excellent, certainly for the first 45 minutes against Burnley, the best team in the league. And, and, and therein lies the frustration. We know the team can do it. Equally, I think we'd all agree that there are significant weaknesses, holes in the squad that if you're serious about trying to get in the playoffs, I just don't think, uh, I think those, those, those flaws have to be addressed. And, you know, clearly we lack in right wing back or, or an attacking right back. We're desperately crying out for someone in that position. We've got limited options up front. Um, and, and yet we still scored a lot of goals this season. It's, it's a bizarre season in that respect. Obviously, our Achilles heel as well is at the back where we've just we've just let in such soft goals. So, yeah, it's um, it's been a curious season in many ways. But we're um, we're uh, within touching distance of the playoffs, which I guess says as much about the championship as anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve, uh, Steve just brought up a really good point talking about the Watford and Burnley games. And this is a pattern which... I think you see with the Russell Martin style is when things kind of stop going or the wheels come off, he makes 
uh, a change or he makes a statement of intent. Now, if you look at uh, when we won seven in nine, that was he made the change just after the stalk where we conceded the last minute. He took out Fisher, put in Bender for the QPR home game. Um, we won that game one nil. Was it QPR or West Brom? Yeah, QPR. QPR, sorry. QPR home game. Won that game 1-0, and the style had noticeably shifted. It was a less kamikaze football at the back. It was almost like you could see what had come off the training ground. Right, This is costing us week in, week out. It's ruining our chances of promotion, his own reputation, etc. We're looking at how we're costing ourselves points. He makes that change, as Stu, you said, 1-7 in 9. And then after that, you see the shift back slowly to the way we were playing before, and, of course, the results dry up. As you say there, Watford and Burnley as well, um, just after the Reading game, which he went to, um, he mentioned about wanting to get nasty players, wanting us to be more aggressive, wanting us to be a nastier team. We, To be fair, for a Swansea City team, we kicked Watford off the park for a lot of it. We were really aggressive in that game and bullied them. And it was a great way of showing us Joe Allen. I think we talked about that night as well. Was just And Burnley as well. It was just constantly in their faces, not giving them an inch, constantly racing... They couldn't breathe on the ball. And that aggression got all, the, got all the crowd up as well, Steve, didn't it? And I think you see this in in spurts, as you say. We're a bit Jekyll and Hyde, Stu, as you say, because when he pushes for something like that and says, we're going to make a change, we're going to go this way, and you see that promise, and then after a couple of games, it, it goes away and it fizzles out again, and you just think consistency is key, and that's something we've lacked well, the whole time, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it is frustrating. I mean, to be fair, I think the change he made, really, that the helped was bringing Cullen into the team. I mean, I don't think he's a player that anyone thinks is necessarily a world-beater, but no-one can ever say he's not given everything, and that was quite damning on some of the other players that have now departed that I'm sure we will go on to talk about. But Cullen just seemed to sort of set the tempo in some ways with you know, the way that he was pressing and running himself into the ground. And obviously, we've seen a bit of a change of formation, and I think that has helped us. I mean, if you... If you look at it, we've had a draw with Cupiano. We'll discuss that a bit more uh, coming up. But then we had the, obviously, we beat Sunderland. I know we lost to Burnley, but as we said, we played well. And we've beaten Watford. So we look at it like that. We've had seven points in the last four games. So that's actually a bit of a, an upturn, isn't it? Certainly our best run since um, we had the poor spell that end, that's basically started after we beat Cardiff at home. So, yeah, you're just hoping that we can sort of build on it. But, I mean, we'll we'll come on to other issues, won't we? The suggest <laughs> it's not going to be as easy as that. Well, mm, it's tricky. I, sorry, Matt, I was going to say, I think that, that change of formation as well is is a measure of how imbalanced the squad is. And in, in actually, if he wants to play four at the back, which I was quite keen for us to move to that because I was, I, I didn't think we were getting enough out of the, out of the sort of the, the three centre-back formation Um we seem to be quite open defensively at times and um, it certainly wasn't making us any, any, any better defensively, but then because we've just got so few options, we're sort of well stocked with midfielders. Um, but then in terms of the wide areas, there's nothing. So really the only way we can play is then with that midfield diamond And obviously against Watford, it worked. Um, it worked really well that night, but it is a crazy situation that, that you you can't really. I mean, I don't think you could play four two three one. I don't know who would play in the two wide roles. I mean, I guess now Whitaker's back if he plays. Um, maybe he could be one of them. I don't know who the other one would be. It just it's it's just uh, crazy how we've got ourselves in this um, situation. But like when you say it like that, Steve, seven points from the last four games. It's a it's a decent return. And I I think I look at the fixtures coming up. We've got a number of home games as well. Um, 
think it's something like four out of six, Matt, at home, something like that maybe now. It's, it, it's you know, there, there's an opportunity on the face of it to kick on. But um, as we keep saying, due to things that have happened last night, the deadline day, um, kicking on might be tricky. Well, we'll get on to deadline day a bit. Don't worry, everyone listening. We haven't forgotten. <laughs> We're definitely going to talk about that. We'll happening. talk about it in great detail. Don't <laughs> oh, you worry. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot just to just to try and cram into this first section because um, we we went to QPR, Steve. If we're going to talk about this briefly and to lead us into deadline day, um, we did see the same issues. We did see the same um, defensive issues. I think what key here was the Jamal Low goal is how poor we are both ways in transition. If we win the ball, cannot counterattack. We're useless at it. And likewise, if we lose the ball up the pitch, all of a sudden it's three on three. Every time, it just seems to be we don't have that defensive cover. Still, as you mentioned, when we've got a five or three at the back, the wing backs get pulled, uh, the cent- two of the centre halves get pulled left and right, and it, it looks like a really dangerous situation every time we lose the ball. And it was that transition again when we lost the ball up the pitch that led to the Jamal Old goal. And it, it just it's the same thing we see time and time again, isn't it? With this inability to just get into a shape which can be harder to score against. Yeah, and I think what really frustrates as well is I know at QPR the pitch is very small, but I mean, it feels like we give the ball away on the halfway line and there's a chance within about 10 seconds. It's a case of, you know, two or three passes and the opposition are in. I think that's what frustrates me. Whereas, you know, I think we all want to see this nice football, but there's occasions where it's just too slow. And obviously, as we've said many times, there's zero pace in the team either, which doesn't help. So, but it, we're too easy to score against. I'm sick of saying it. It's, it's like collective, individual errors, the lot. And then you add in an ex-player to the mix. Oh. You know what's coming every time. So, yeah, cheap goal. And if we're being honest, we really didn't play well after that, did we? No. I think you look at that as well. And I obviously wasn't there that day, but I've seen the goal back. I'm trying to recall it. And I'm sure Darling should have done better as well um, prior to low scoring. And, and that's the thing I think. Darlin unfortunately hasn't found any consistency. He's been he's been in and out of the team. So's Wood, and it and it, it, you don't really know. I think Cabango's been playing playing better out of the three of them, um, but you don't really know. It could be sort of you know, Cabang, uh, Darling in for a few games, then Wood in for a few games, and unfortunately they just seem to have that little error in them. I think it was the same with Wood against Bristol City, but he's played pretty well apart from that, and. Um, yeah, that's that, that's a difficulty, and and I think when you mentioned earlier, Matt, about the Martin saying the need to have some nasty players, a bit of kind of grit in the team, I feel we could really do with someone at centre back like that. But obviously, with the way the team plays, it needs to be someone who also is good on the ball. And then when you're thinking, well, I'm sort of looking at the team as a young team, and I think we have to allow for that as well in terms of the inconsistency in their performances. So then I'm starting to build this centre-back picture. Well, it'd be good to have someone who's about 27, 28, around that. Ashley Williams, right? Well, <laughs> you're just looking for something that's not realistic, aren't you, really? 27, yeah. 28, a good ball-playing centre-back, and also he's strong and aggressive. Well, if he's got all that, he isn't going to be playing in the Championship, and we no, certainly aren't going to be able to afford him. So, um, you know, I thought Naismith last season would have been a good one for us for giving us some balance on the left who went to Bristol City. But um, we can't, you know, I think they gave him a three-year deal. Um, and I'm not saying we should have given him a three-year deal given his age, but that's the reality of where we are now. You know, Cornet goes to Bristol City instead of coming to us. And um, all of that's very frustrating. But I do feel that in that 
area of the pitch, we would benefit hugely from having a really experienced figure back there in what is a young team. We did have, of course, Ryan Bennett. Wages aside and all the financial issues that that caused the club, yeah. it was getting him, when he came into the team, it was, I mean, you could the epitome of no-nonsense there, wasn't he? Yeah. He wasn't a ball-playing centre-half. I don't think he'll ever claim to be. But if you could get one of him on an affordable wage, there's been so many times where, especially early in the season, and looking at the likes of Stoke away, uh, Millwall at home when we were 2-0 up in the injury time, managed to draw, um, where you just want someone to come in and be that old head in there and calm the others down and just say, do you know what? For the next five minutes, we're just going to deal with the ball that comes to us and get rid, and we're just going to be professional about it. It's not the time to play triangles on our own box and stuff like that and invite the press and things. There's... I think we've said this so many times, Steve, about there being a time and a place for that sort of football. And if you can cut teams open early doors by trying to draw them out when they're sitting back and things, I understand it. But sometimes the team are so gunning for you because you are already already winning. You don't want to give them the taste of blood, do you, Stu? No, I know what you mean. And I think that last season, Carl Norton with the ball was excellent in that system. But without the ball... He's not a natural defender, not certainly not in the central areas. He's played right back most of his career. And I just felt he got exposed in those areas when we were out of possession. So, yeah. And, I'm, you know, Bennett's time was done, wasn't it, if we're honest? I'm thinking back to that Southampton FA Cup replay. I've got him. Or no, not replay, maybe Southampton FA Cup game where yeah, I just yeah, yeah. seem to recall him standing in the centre of the pitch and people going past him uh, like... <laughs> And thinking, yeah, I've seen enough that of that. That went to extra time as well, didn't it? I think yeah, it, was, it did. I think it wasn't good for him. And, and they had 10 Sean men. Sean Bennett could still do a job for a team that, a Steve Cooper type team that sits deep. Yeah, yeah I'm not advocating but the... Like, um, that's probably not. No, I don't want the return of Ryan Bennett, that's for sure. It's tricky and, it, it, you know, we're asking for something that maybe doesn't exist. But I think, you know, that those individual area uh, errors, I think, was there not another one at Preston? Was that um, where we made a... I'm sure yeah, we made Darling a... Yeah, made one there, didn't he? Like a scuffed clearance. We just feel like we give away such bad goals. Um, you know, you think Dude. of Reading that night when the the second goal's crazy. Even the first goal's a you know stupid foul from Fulton for the penalty. And I always feel we have to work hard for our goals. And, um, so, yeah, um, a source of frustration. Now, I guess the the plus side is we managed to come back and get a point at QPR. And I remember watching that instant in the end. And if Perot isn't so lazy. If he comes yeah. back, if he makes a little effort to just screaming at him, run back, yeah. then he is onside for when that ball gets fed down the left and when he crosses it in for um, who was it? A charm, yeah. So things it like wasn't that. it wasn't even a split second moment, Stu. He probably had. I know in football terms, you'll know. You know, when you have like a couple of seconds, that is a lifetime in oh, football on the ball, isn't it? To get onside. It wasn't like the ball's dropped to us and it goes to him. No. It's given taken two or three touches of pro Oh, we've 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 had a couple of goals of pro lately. I mean, it is laziness. I think that's all you yeah. can put yeah, it down he, to. He doesn't look interested. Yeah. Yeah, no, he doesn't. And that 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 incident kind of epitomised what he's been like this season. And it's so bizarre because I think he's on 10 goals. It's quite possible he could score another 10 in the second half of the season, end up with 20 again. And yet it would feel so different to um, to what he gave the team last season in, in every sense. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, take the positive. We got a point at QPR in the end. Um, uh, but again, it's just that feeling like we're really not that far away. 
but yet we are far away <laughs> you know uh, I think now yeah. I think the biggest issue now we'll come on to the transfer window and indeed deadline day in a second everyone else do has improved almost yeah. every team in this division barring the ones under an embargo maybe has improved or strengthened in some way or done mm. some business mm. but most of them have probably looked at it and gone well we're so close to the playoffs two or three additions and you'll get yourself in there because the league isn't very good. And obviously we are the ones that have not done that. I guess that'll cancel itself out. If if six teams make two or three additions, then they'll all be there or thereabouts competing the same way. It's not as if only one team has yeah. improved. Unfortunately, being the only team, Stu, that hasn't done anything, in fact, our numbers have depleted further, <laughs> that looks like if everyone else has gone, right, we're all going to move this direction, there's one team in there that is looks like potentially could drop down a few places and that's us. Yeah. And I think you can also underestimate the impact that all this has on the existing players at the club and how, you know, demoralized they feel. Um, you know, they, they're not oblivious to all the noise around what's happened last night and, um, how disappointing that's been. And look, naturally the January window's there for a reason, isn't it? It's a chance for you to kind of regroup, look at what you've got and, can we strengthen? Where are the weaknesses? So, you know, in previous years, we always get round, like every club does at this point, and you think, oh, well, we need to get in, you know, a right wing back for us or a right back. And wouldn't it be great to have another striker? We definitely need one of those. And and yet, somehow, inexplicably, we have done, I mean, I looked at last year and we obviously had Christie come in and, and Wolf, who were great. You know, they kind of transformed us on the flanks. Certainly, Wolf was great fun to watch. And Christie had a reasonable impact. He faded towards the end. But, in, yeah, inexplicably, we've somehow managed to go through this window and get, in my eyes, you know, weaker without a shadow of doubt. Yeah, definitely. We've kind of like nudged into it. So I'm going to go with the flow with it and let's get to find where everyone has joined us uh, for this evening, really. Let's be honest. Uh, it is about the transfer window. Um, or if you're Jason Levy in January, uh, <laughs> we've had some embarrassing transfer windows and indeed deadline days since the yeah. took over. But this one was pretty special even for them. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's an utter disaster in my eyes. Um, I think it's a disgrace, actually. Uh, and I think that pretty much sums up how I feel about how the owners run the club. Um, you look you look at the comments before that were made. And I actually, I was you know looking back at these earlier. So there's a couple from Russell Martin in December where he says it would be frustrating with the amount of work we've put into certain things to just let it wander. The earlier, the better for everyone in terms of deals. Um, well, the first deal we tried to do was about, you know, six, seven o'clock on deadline day. And that was a loan. Um, and then he also said in December, we have I thought this was really interesting. We have real clarity in what we feel we need to improve us. And also we have real belief that we have the full support of Jake, Jason and Steve. We've got real confidence that they'll help us out in January. You can't make those comments in my eyes unless you have been told by those same people that they are going to back you. And that says everything um, uh, in terms of how people have um, completely reneged on what they said they would do. Um, I don't believe Russell Martin would come out with comments like that unless people have assured him that they are going to support him. Um, 
and giving that, that um, Christmas Christmas Eve was it that article from Julian Winter yeah, yeah, talking about yeah. the business we've been doing and or rather preparing for and we yeah. were going to hit the ground running in January that was the message coming from the club yeah yeah it makes you think is it is he in the same boat did he think oh this? yeah I think so wouldn't he? you know it's arguably he's the same thing you know he's he's thought there was money there and they pulled the plug but yeah I don't like an idiot but they, they both look like idiots don't they I don't it's think not their no, I don't think you can hold, you know, Julian Winter or Josh Marsh, Josh Marsh responsible for this. I mean, I've seen people questioning what we're doing with our recruitment. Well, the bottom line is it doesn't matter what you're doing with your recruitment. If the owners won't let you sign anyone, you could have the best scouting system going. Um, uh, not that I was jumping up and down about the prospect of, of uh, Colin Grant coming in, but I, you know, obviously would have accepted it. Um, but yeah, if you've got owners who just to me, look like they've just thrown the towel in with it now. That's how I view it. Um, I said last night on Twitter um, that I have zero hope under these owners, and that is that's not me. That's just exactly how I feel. I just feel the club. I don't even think, you know, for a while I used to think the club's going nowhere. I don't think it's going nowhere now. I worry that unless something changes, we're going towards League One in the next couple of seasons um, because it just feels like year-on-year regression. I can't see what their plan is. I don't think they have a plan in terms of trying to um, get the club back into the Premier League. I think there's been lots and lots of false promises. Hollow words said right from the start. And we've just seen a pattern now. If we, Matt, if we went through the painful process of going back over all the windows, it's just been calamitous again and again and again. You even think back to the time in the Premier League, you know, when they're re-signing Wilfred Boney on deadline day. Um, Andre... Hey, Paying all that on Andre, are you know, doing that deal, which which was just a crazy deal to do again on deadline day. Um, yeah, it's it's been it's been bad again and again and again. But I think even by their standards, this was like it felt to me like a a new low. Especially mindful of those sort of quotes I've read out. You referenced Julian Winter as well. Um, it feels like people have been totally misled. So. Yes, it, there we go. Would it be wide of the mark, do you think, in your opinion? To because I, I I can't help but shake this nagging feeling that this feels like uh, a watershed moment because since they came in, the American owners, there's been a lot of, um, mi- well, I say not miscommunication because communication's been no, well, nothing from them. I was going to say it's been non-existent. Which is kind of where the difference is because this is probably the first time since they initially took over and they made that statement about taking us to the next level. And I, I know I mentioned this to you before, Steve, is this is probably one of the first times since that there's been something down in print where you can hold it against it and say, well, actually, now this this is completely gone against what you've promised. And you can see that Julian Winter and Russell Martin have quite clearly been misled. I mean, you mentioned earlier about the demoralising effect you would have on the players. Let's not even get into what it means to Russell Martin because, yeah. I mean, his position, he may consider it untenable. You know, his, his position may be in a situation where he goes, I cannot work under these owners. The only thing that's going to happen to him if he stays here, medium to long term, is he gets mixed in with this shambolic system where his reputation is taking hit after hit because all of a sudden his team is dropping down the league. So you, I dread to think where that leaves it. But this has been so bad, Steve, this one, with the, the wall of silence. Just nothing's come out really in January. It's just been like you always get rumours too, don't you? We always yeah. get linked with players and then it falls away. There's been nothing We've been talking. There's been nothing. We're getting linked with players. And then the deadline day fiasco, 
we'll come on to in a second. But this feels, as Stu said, have they thrown the towel in? Is this the moment we'll look back in five years and go, they were already selling it at this point. They've already found an interested party because there can be no excusing what's happened over the last 31 days. Well, look at the right wing back issue for a start. And I think it's been as obvious as night follows day that we've been crying out for one all season. Yeah, we've barely been linked with one. I know we could say Og Ben, but arguably he's been playing further forward for Rotherham. So if he'd come in, would he have played there? I, I don't know. But it feels like we there's just been no, like you say, not many links. And you're thinking, well, you, there's always links with players. I know players sometimes sign out of the blue. But, you know, it's just never really felt like anything was going to happen. And I mean, I think after the Sunderland game, Martin said we're further away than we were before. And you're thinking, how can you be further away after two weeks of a window than you were before? Like when you've not even been linked to anybody. It just seems, you know, it's just so lacklustre. Um, how bothered are they? Are they literally just thinking to themselves, right, well, we're, yeah, we are two off the playoffs, but we're also, I don't know, a dozen ahead of the bottom three, right? We'll just linger on for the rest of the season because we won't go down no matter what we do. And like, I'm not saying we should be throwing money after this. It's, you know, that would be irresponsible, but you've got to be realistic about these things. I mean, can we bring players in, you know, that we can look to sell? Because that's what we're obviously looking to do, isn't it? Bring players in, increase their value, sell them on. And, you know, Og Ben, for example, is a player that may have allowed us to do that. Now, I know we could come in in the summer on free, but now you have to actually get him on a free in the first place, don't you? So it's concerning. I mean, if we get injuries, suspensions, anything like that, what the hell are we going to do? That it's bench looks horrendous. It's going to be the youth players, isn't it? Yeah. And we haven't got a cat one academy now to lean back on. We haven't got the like. So no disrespect to the guys in there. But when you had, we were buying in players for that team. You know, we were buying in players for three quarters of a million to play in our under 23s. And you had the Ollie McBurney's and whatnot. who won player of the year the season before. Um, you know, and you had the players coming through who were tipped to be like Joe Roden and stuff. And obviously the transition of Dan James was something that perhaps no one could have foreseen, but still, they were talent there. Now, there's absolutely no disrespect to the players that are there now, but are they championship ready? Are they, these players ready to come but in? It's more the thing, and they, they sort of have to be ready. Have like, to I, be. I always look at that. The, the worst window still has got to be the, the summer one oh, of 2018. Because we we, well, we, the fact that we were left with one centre-half, and <laughs> we're talking about Roden, and I'm thinking, yeah. no, this is nothing on Roden at all. But I'm thinking, if he, he has to be good. Because there is nobody else. Luckily, he was. But there wasn't anyone else. I know Carter Vickers came in on the loan then, but you know we did have to survive a season with three centre-halves. And I mean, come on, it's it's just ridiculous. And until that point, it was one centre-half when the window shut because the other one hadn't made his debut. So... Yeah, I'd actually, I'd actually forgotten that window. <laughs> it's a remarkable. Yeah. Oh, that well, 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 look at that. I think we lost four players on deadline day, didn't we? Two of them were centre-halves because Fernandes and Amat went. And yeah. we brought in, like, a left-back in Declan John. And I'm thinking, like, have you not read the room yet? We Literally, you're selling a mat, I think it was, for about under a million. And I'm thinking, surely you've got to keep it. There isn't anybody else. But no, uh, the logic yeah. is just insane. I know everyone thinks of the Dan James leads, don't they, as the bonkers window. And obviously, that was bad as well. But probably because he didn't end up going. It doesn't feel as bad as it actually was. But, I mean, that, that 2018 one that I've just talked about in the the end of the summer one coming out of the Premier doing anything beats that especially the deadline day no it's, I mean I think you make an important point we're not sitting here um, saying we should be spending millions of pounds in this window that's really not what we're you know advocating we want the club to be here in the long term um, no one wants reckless spending or gambling but I can't see um, you know you're in a position where you've got 
you've got a chance of getting into the playoffs with a number of other clubs. So I'm not saying roll the dice, but I'm just saying just give the manager a chance. Why can't why couldn't we have done a you know a, a couple of loans? I know that isn't long term. We want players under contract ultimately, but if you can't do that, then at the very least strengthen the areas where there are glaring weaknesses, which we've already spoken about. But yeah, they they um they obviously decided not to do that. And then I don't know, you just build up a picture. You've got the situation with Latabodier and Manning with their contracts not being renewed. Um at the moment they're not being or they've not accepted the terms on the table and you wonder what sort of terms they are um and and it all feeds into this feeling of you know have they almost just as i used the phrase earlier thrown the towel in with it are they um thinking we're not going to put any more money into this whatsoever now because we're just hoping we can sell it um we've got 39 points on the board perhaps they're thinking we're not going to go down um would just see the season out. I don't know. But of course, all this hangs on who the hell is going to buy the club. You know, I, I, they're going to have to take a massive hit on what, what they, um, what they spent in the first place. And um, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I think my biggest worry isn't now because God, I hope this doesn't come back to haunt me, but I feel we've got enough points on the board. Um, and I know that's a pretty bleak way of looking at the remainder of the season, but my worry is the summer. I can't see any reason for Russell Martin to stay. Um, and, and whether people are Russell Martin fan or not, I don't see how anyone can be um, blasé about that because that's just a damning reflection of, of where we are. And and people will get wise to this. You know, Potter had to deal with the nonsense of the um, that window you spoke about and even the January one with Dan James. Um, by the end of Cooper's time, he'd clearly had a fallout with the owners and he'd had enough of it too. And now Russell Martin's going through the same thing. And whoever takes over for him is going to experience exactly the same. And ultimately, that's got to get to the point where that, you know, people talk about Cardiff, who, who would want to take the Cardiff job, knowing what they're walking into there and the level of interference. We don't have interference like that here. We just have owners who are completely detached from the club in every way. And... Um, and yeah, it's 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 pretty bleak. It's it's quite depressing, to be honest with you. Do you but know what? As well, I think one word we perhaps haven't mentioned yet, which is is one is a glaring one, really, is the is the sheer incompetence of it all as well. Um, and I know this is maybe comparing apples and oranges kind of thing, but uh, Semenyo from Bristol City joined Bournemouth earlier in the window, ten and a half million. That was seemed to be done quite money in the bank for Bristol City. We we laboured and dallied over shifting over Fermi. It seemed to be a long drawn out saga. In the end, we haven't actually sold him yet, and no one is an understanding that it might kind of become an obligation, but technically yeah. it's still an option. But well, Steve, can you what do you know about it? Is it an option that is basically gets triggered if they go up or something like that? That's how yeah. I, I, my understanding of it, and I was initially told it was an obligation to buy, but obviously it came out that it was an option. But my understanding of it is that it's you know pretty much a formality that that deal will go through um so yeah on that i'm not so i'm not overly concerned to be honest with you Overfemi clearly become a big problem at the club um with his attitude yeah i think he'd given up essentially when he didn't get his burnley move in in august and um you know you guys know me well enough that when people were jumping up and down about him staying, I wasn't because I not being wise after the event could foresee issues further down the road. And that's exactly what's happened. So they just had to find a way of, of, of getting him out. Um, 
and Obafemi had obviously done nothing on the pitch to increase his value in that time. In fact, it had gone the opposite way. So I'm quite curious as to why Burnley want him, to be honest with you. But, you know, there, this, there we go. Is this... Um, so his value, obviously, we were talking nine, ten million in the summer. We were talking, those are the figures we were looking at. We were even fancifully talking double that for Perot. And we were thinking, we quids in here. Um Going back to what we were saying earlier about whether they're going to invest in players to improve value, they've got evidence of how that works and how that business model works with Flynn Downs. They bring yeah. him in a year later, make a hefty profit on him, and that is how this club survives and thrives. It's how it has to, because we haven't got the money, man. So when you look at that situation, you do just wonder, don't you, is, is there going to be... Uh, the thing I don't get with Obafemi is he'd been a pain last season, then he'd hit form in the second half of the year, and then you get a good offer from him and you think to yourself, right, this guy has been a pain in the backside in the past. We now have a chance to shift him for a reasonable deal, maybe not quite as much as we want. Let's take it. Mm. And it's not capped in hindsight. I think you do have to think like that if people are a pain in the backside. They should yeah. have taken it. They really should have. Yeah. I think the worry, because the model clearly with, with, with Swansea, you know, like other clubs, Bristol City, is you need to you need to sell a couple of players, you know, you, you need to sell one at least every summer for a reasonable fee. Um, and and I'm looking at it now, Steve, and I can't really see I guess Ollie Cooper's probably the biggest asset at the moment because I don't know what Joel Perot's value is in this in this I've got a fear about Perot to be honest with you, and that is that hasn't Ben Brereton Diaz gone to Villarreal on a free for next season, is that right? I didn't see that if he did. I'm sure I've heard that. There's like okay. a pre... I, I could be wrong on this, Like right? a pre-contract, a pre-agreement kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, and obviously if you go abroad, then there's no transfer fee, is there? No. Even if it's an under 24. I've got a bit of a concern with Perot. If he doesn't get sold in the summer, mm. he's not going to sign a contract, obviously. No, he'll just run is his he, contract down. Is he then going to go back to the Netherlands on a free transfer? That's sort mm. of my concern, if you know what I mean. And then obviously if you get nothing for him, mm. and we really need to get a few quid back for him, don't we? Yeah, I think it's a hard one with Perot because he, you know, as far as I'm aware, there wasn't serious interest in him last summer. Um, and I did think towards the end of the season, I remember seeing, I mean, he scored some terrific goals last season. His finishing was exceptional. And, and I genuinely thought he's gone in the summer. Uh, I guess the fact that is, I think his lack of pace would probably be a concern for some clubs. And, and so, yeah, um, nothing really materialised. His form this season has been, been disappointing. And it's if he were to go in the summer, um, on the face of it, he's not going to sign a new contract. And you sort of think, well, we're better off trying to get something for him. But I can only see that being a low fee. And then, as I say, Stephen, I look through the rest of the squad. Aside from Ollie Cooper, who's been excellent and a real breath of fresh air. Um, and crikey, we don't want to lose him now. I can't think of any other real assets. I guess they would have bought Harry Darling with the thought of he could be another Flynn Downs and in a few seasons kick on and he may well still do you know he's obviously transitioning from from League One and I don't want to just judge someone on six months you know hopefully he will adapt and I actually I like Nathan Wood I think he will get better he's a young lad he's learning the game so but at this moment in time those aren't those aren't assets as such um so God knows what the the summer looks like in in that respect but yeah it's just a but do you think Grimes could go I mean Obviously, I don't know. Is he about 27, 28 now? And I'm thinking, you know, if he's going to go, probably does need to go 
sooner rather than later now, doesn't he? Especially if, I don't know if a Prem team will come in. You never really hear people come in for him, do you? I, I don't think Grimes would get a move to the Prem. I think if Grimes got a move, it would be to a relegated Premier League club, you know, a top-end championship team. And I know he's like, he seems to divide opinion, Grimes. I really like him. Um, I think he's a superb footballer. And um, yeah, he gets a bit of unfair criticism in my eyes. But yeah, in terms of the rest of it, uh, so yeah, Obafemi's obviously gone in. Well, we've got Morgan Whitaker now to somehow work out what we're going to do with him, really. What's your yeah, take on to that now, don't we? What's your, take, what's your take on that, Matt? There's so, there's literally, this, this pod could go on as long as we wanted to, gents, to be honest with you, because the Whitaker is just one chapter in what is a series of books that the club have released this, mm-hmm. this month, isn't it? I mean, I just can't understand why these pieces of the jigsaw were not in place if you know, we could have had this conversation with the clubs involved, with Rangers who are clearly interested, and said, right, if we can agree a fee, we'll recall him from Plymouth. We'll make sure this happens. This is he wants to stay at Plymouth, but if we're going to sell him, let's make sure we sell him. We bring him back and put him in a state of limbo. You know, it's he. Russell Martin has made no secret of the fact he doesn't see a future of Whitaker playing in this system, in this team. When he was asked directly about it, he said, well. He's going to have to compete with the most congested area of the pitch where we most, we've got the most talent. He didn't even talk the guy up. And I feel like he's not interested in him. And this is perhaps an issue which I was going to come back to with the Obafemi situation earlier, whereby I think Russell Martin wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think that's probably we all agree on that, especially post-match. He can talk about things. He can say things which later on he may regret or may think he shouldn't have gone so hasty. We're talking about selling Obafemi and we needed to get rid of him. Russell Martin's handling of the Obafemi situation, personally, I don't think, helped at all because he didn't talk him up as he's a fantastic lad. He wants his Premier League move. We hope he gets it if that's what he wants. He talked him down. He talked about his attitude and stuff. I know he wanted a reaction, but if you're talking and you're really trying to sell him, let's not tell the whole world he's a bad egg and try and, 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 try and do that. But I think Russell Martin here with Whitaker is kind of, pinned himself into a little bit of a corner like he's made a statement here and it's quite clear that he's at odds with the owners they want him here they want him playing they they want him involved in the team and Russell Martin has said the complete opposite in the media he's He's open to him spending his career elsewhere. It's and the player's stuck in the middle, isn't he? And he, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to play. Yeah, I understand it. I think. For well, I think for Whitaker, if he thought he was going to play, he'd probably be okay with it. But obviously, he's realised that probably isn't. He was doing well at Plymouth. He's been pulled away from there, which would have frustrated him. Probably wanted to go to Rangers, but it sounds of it. And now, obviously, that hasn't happened either. So, you know, is he going to be a pain in the backside now behind the scenes? We we don't know, do we? But. Look, it's, again, it's not a good situation. Um, we should have left him at Plymouth, in my opinion, if he wasn't going to go anywhere. I think he was doing well there. Could have seen up the season there. They, if they'd gone up, they may Value would have gone up as yeah, well. Yeah, value goes up. And also, if they go up then, they might have money and they'd be desperate to sign him, wouldn't they, if he'd done really well. So, you know, what do you think, Stu? I just find it absolutely baffling how that's been handled. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Steve. He should have stayed at Plymouth. He was flying there. He was doing really well. Um, his value was increasing as a result. He probably could have finished up being the League One Player of the Year if he takes Plymouth up, and there was every chance of that. Plymouth would have been all over it trying to sign him. They'd have been back in the Championship. You know, great thing for them. The fans would have been pulling for him to be there. Um, he would have certainly been worth more then uh, in that situation than what he was in this transfer window. 
yeah, it's clear that Russell Martin doesn't see him as part of his plans. He was really transparent about that. I think that also shows how dysfunctional the club is, that decisions like that are made, even though the managers clearly said privately, you know, he's not going to come out in his, and talk, as you said, Matt, hearing him say what he did and not have said that same thing in, you know, in-house. So just absolutely, absolutely bizarre. I mean, I guess that the weird situation now, given that we didn't get a striker in, Obafemi's gone, perhaps it is some sort of blessing that, Whitaker is actually still around because I was thinking earlier to myself um, what happens if Perot gets injured and as bad as Perot's been we are literally left with Cullen then mm. up front um, which is just you know crazy given where we were last season with Obafemi and Perot flying up front and Patterson in behind it's, it's just a, a really really odd situation in keeping with so many things that have gone on. So the big question is now, obviously he is here to the end of the season. Um, will he knuckle down? Will he fancy it? Will Russell Martin give him a chance? Who knows? It might be forced to happen in, in on, you know, in, in the wake of an injury or something, but um, I can't see how financially um, the decision makes any sense, what we've done. And I can't see how it makes any sense for, for Morgan Whitaker or Swansea either, but yeah, we'll just have to kind of hope for the best with it. And, and then, yeah, the player I mentioned, Matt, and within all this, we've still got Patterson hanging oh. around at the club. Mm. Yeah, like I, just to, on the Whitaker thing before we move on from him, like I wasn't against us selling him, calling him from Plymouth to sell him, because it was quite clear, despite what Russell Martin has said, again, we think he's probably been misled from conversation with the owners. He said, we don't have to sell to buy. We're not in that situation or whether he was trying to paint us as a more financially solvent club than we maybe are, so that we wouldn't get shafted in the transfer market. I don't know whether it was mind games or what, but the fact if we had to raise funds to make the signings we needed to make, the wing-back signings and stuff like that, getting old Ben, okay, sell a talent that's out on loan if we need funds today, but we didn't have anything in place. We were playing a game of chess <laughs> with Rangers when it was clear that we were holding... We had a terrible hand to play. We were just yeah, really... Basically, we, we needed the salad desperately. We didn't want to play. We were desperate. We played ourselves into but, a corner again. But guys, it's incompetence. It's these, yeah, incompetence. What I don't understand is like we were desperate to sell him because we don't want him. Yet in the previous windows that we've talked about, where we haven't really wanted a seller, I don't think we have, we've caved in and just accepted absolutely horrendous deals when we didn't need to. Yet arguably now, when we did need to just accept something... Like that could have been, say that we, I don't know, taken a million for Whitaker and it was spaced out over four years or something. But that might have got us all Ben at yeah, this point. Have, and yeah. you'd have to have gone, well, since COVID, the goalposts have moved now. It's, teams don't have money anymore. Sometimes you have to, I think, accept deals you might not like because yeah. that is the difference between getting in the players that you want or not. Yeah. So that if that would have made the difference, it would have gone, OK, it's not a great deal. But we've now we've come out of it with a player we actually want. And you'll use him. We're not going to use Whitaker. Exactly. I mean, I don't think we're going to use him anyway. We might be forced to, as you say, Stu. We might be in a situation now where yeah. it is a blessing and he's forced to play him. But it'd be through gritted teeth. And I don't think he's well, ever going to come. Do, will, he, will he leave the club in the summer, I suppose, is the, the question. And I, I think he probably will. So yeah. unless, I, unless Martin goes. I get your point, Matt. If he comes back, if you're recalling him and you know the manager doesn't fancy him, you can only do that if you're absolutely certain you've got a deal lined up to sell him. And clearly we didn't, we weren't in that situation. So in that sense, it made absolutely no sense to bring him back. He should have been left at Plymouth. It is shambles. Um, you mentioned Pato, uh, mm-hmm. Stu. Um, 
the the forgotten man, the one that was told again in the press that he's he's open to leave the club in January. Um, him and Obafemi, it's the worst secret kept in the club. He's ready to go, and he's well, he's still here, and there's been no movement on him, and he's on a nice new contract as well, which is going to put us back financially again. It's it, it's the same situation. We talk about it repeating. We talk about these players we just cannot shift and we cannot do the business and the deals we need to do to get what we need to be able to do business to bring players in. Yeah, you look now with regret and uh, with hindsight, I think we probably would have all not liked this at the time. But didn't QPR bid about three quarters of a million for him this time last year, Patterson? We probably all thought it was not a great deal because of how important he was at the point. But with hindsight, you do wish that we'd taken it because... He's done very little since, and obviously now we're stuck with him for 18 months by the looks of it. So it's very frustrating because we know there's a player in there. Obviously, for six months, he was brilliant, wasn't he? But ever since that, you know, he effectively wasn't in the right headspace to play because of the contract situation. He's not been the same, has he? No, and I love watching him during that first half of last season. I thought he was he was good fun to watch. He was the sort of player that we've been missing, someone who could make something happen. Um Obviously, he had that scored that magical goal against Cardiff, and then I remember him scoring a lovely goal a few days later against West Brom. And he was linking up well with Perot. They had a lovely understanding. He just, I just felt like you know we were really getting the best out of Jamie Patterson. And then the contract thing happened, and that uh, my understanding of all that is that was handled badly by the club. Um, but then, in fairness, Patterson does get. Um, a really good deal again in the summer. He gets a you know a new two-year contract in the summer, doesn't he? So we've got what 18 months left on that now. And mm. I just naively thought, okay, Patterson will go back to being the player he was in the first half of last season. And it just hasn't happened like that at all. Um yeah, as you said, Steve, it's a real worry that we've got him on contract for the best part of another 18 months now. Can he be reintegrated into the squad? I don't know. I'd be surprised. I'd be really surprised if that happens actually. And then we're just waiting to try and find a club for him in the summer. So, uh, yeah, effectively you've lost, you know, you've lost another player from your squad in a way. It's um, it's a recurring theme. You mentioned earlier on about, um, I think maybe just before we started recording about Oko Flex and um, him being recalled. Um, I think it was, it was recalled on the case of he could have stayed at the club, but he was told that, well, we're going to do so much business in January, he's not going to get the minutes, so feel free to get him back and take him back. They did. And now we're in a situation where you look and go, actually, we did none of the business that we intended to do in January. We're just yet another player down. A player which we quite liked, Steve. We thought he didn't get the fair crack of the whip that others did. And I thought, well, when he came on, he, at least he give it some. He, he tried to beat a man tried to give a bit of energy into the game when we saw slow and so Well, what I didn't understand was, like, we had a couple of games, didn't we, just after the World Cup where we were playing with wingers, yet he wasn't starting. You know, thinking, well, we're now playing a formation that would suit this guy. We've got no pace in the team, as we keep saying. Why didn't he have two or three starts on the bounce in that position and then see what he could have done? Because you've got to think he would have made a difference. And like I said, I thought he was always a decent option from the bench as well pace against tired legs, a rare player that wanted to actually try and beat a man. And it's it's really frustrating, isn't it, that, um, you know, he's, he's gone back now and he's definitely a player that would have seen more minutes in the second half of the season than the first, I'd have thought, because obviously our options have, have gone down again, really. So, 
Look, it's I think it's frustrating that one. Um, but again, it probably says a lot for the position that the manager was in because we know he wasn't a massive fan of him, but also he thought people were coming in, so it wasn't a big deal him going back. But if he'd known what we know now, maybe he would have thought differently. So we're going to get on to the big, the big deadline day story in just a second. But before that, talk about QPR a little bit early on. Steve Bender got injured. Undoubtedly, he's going to be a big loss, isn't he? But ultimately, it leaves us with one senior goalkeeper at the club. Um, whether we think or think they should or shouldn't have brought another goalkeeper in, I think it's understood that we were actively looking to and we didn't do that business. Probably wisely, if we're playing on such tight purse strings, if there is an issue with Fisher, then we can use the emergency loan market, Steve. But another sign that the club were intending, by all accounts, to push down that route and got nothing done. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, as I said, I didn't think it was a massive priority compared to the right wing back position. But no, we did seem to be looking. And I think, if anything, that's incredibly damning on Andy Fisher because it's Martin signing, but he paid money for him. Obviously, he's lost his place in the team. And you'd be thinking, right, well, obviously, Bender is now out injured. So he's the person that will come into the team. But I read us trying to buy a loan, get someone in on loan or whatever as a bit of a snub to him, as if to say, look, I want someone else to start. So mm. it indicates to me that Fisher, although he is going to play for the next few months, like he's really going to have to step his game up because the manager doesn't like him. But um, yeah, we, as you say, we, we didn't bring one in. And I think there were other priorities really from my point of view. I think if we had brought one in, we have actually been a little bit annoyed in some ways because I really don't see it as this big priority. Because as you said, if Fisher gets injured, you are allowed special dispensation to bring a goalkeeper in. Um, which are not with other positions. So, yeah, but as you say, we didn't get one done, which I suppose is not the biggest surprise, is it? No. Well, it's a recurring theme. I keep saying that. <laughs> right, Stu, we're here. We're talking. There's not a lot happening in the Swansea City. And mm. you're thinking, this is a terrible deadline day. This is an awful... This is the worst deadline day for the Swans um, because we knew these gaping holes in the squad and even in the starting eleven, And yet, up comes... Six, seven o'clock last night, Carl and Grant from West Brom. Um, and we're thinking, well, do you know what? <laughs> All things considered, that's a pleasant surprise. It's it's a it's a player we know can score goals and play and go straight into that team. It's not another Finn Stevens who's going to be a squad player at best. He's going to play games. He's going to come here. He's going to improve the start in 11. Please, 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 can you talk us through what the hell happened here? Yeah, well, I think the problem when you do a deal like that, where you know you're only going to get him provided West Brom get who they want, um, obviously there's always a risk then that it can go wrong. And and this was um, dependent on um, Amari Hutchinson going from Chelsea. And then Chelsea were obviously up to their neck in it, doing the sort of deals that we can only dream of. Um, And um, yeah, they pulled the plug on the Hutchinson one. And then that obviously meant then that Grant, couldn't come in but for me I just think it's an utterly ridiculous situation to put yourself in that you are hostage to that kind of situation you know um, whereby we've had the whole window we knew Obafemi was going surely you go and line someone up on loan if you're going to do a loan where you know you can get them where uh, perhaps it's coming from a Premier League club say Gelhart, I think we all would like to have seen him there. Okay, you can't do him, but someone of similar profile, and and so it was always going to be a massive risk, you know, that that 
if if West Brom couldn't get their bit of the deal done, he wasn't going to come in. Um, I mean, I, 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 as you do on these kind of things, I sort of typed his name into Twitter, which is a dangerous thing to do on anyone, isn't it? Um, I wouldn't want to do that on myself. Um, and uh, so to have a look what comes up. And uh, it would be fair to say that this was obviously before the news had uh, that, that come out there and I'd kind of first heard it. And yeah, it wouldn't, you know, West Brom fans weren't exactly um, waxing lyrical about Grant. But hey, of course, we would have taken him. He was going to be, as you said, Matt, he has scored goals in the past. Um, he was someone who could go into the team. Uh, bear in mind where we're at at the minute with our attacking options. So, yeah, I guess when when the news came through on that, that that one had fallen through, that was like, um, it was almost worse than if we hadn't gone for him in the first place when you kind of had that yes, little, tease, little tease. Oh, we are going to get someone after all. Oh, no, not actually. No, um, Swansea City have signed nobody. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, an appalling situation, really. Um, and, yeah, I think sometimes it goes under the radar a bit what's been going on at our club because because we've kind of somehow got to the, you know, the playoffs twice. OK, Cooper got some good loans in, but it is, a, it is incredible to think that the way this club has been run, which in my eyes is so badly, yet we were 90 minutes away from getting back into the Premier League. Let's not talk about what went on in the final, but that's the reality. They got within one game. I don't know how they did it, really, the owners, because I don't think they've had a plan at all the way through. Um, but I look at it now and my worry is it's drifting and I see it drifting one way. And... Um, yeah, my fear is that some, I don't know, I, it's, it's hard to gauge, but I feel like there's a fair bit of apathy, almost as if people are like, oh, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. I don't think it will be okay unless there's change. That's that's yeah. my real concern. It just feels like we're on this downward trajectory today. Not a steep one, but just mm. one that's going down to the point where eventually you will start struggling in this league and probably drop out of it. We're probably on a similar trajectory, I think, to Cardiff. Mm. It's just the Cardiff started at a lower base. So they're already at the point where they're really struggling. And they arguably they were last year. But it feels like we're going to get there in about two or three years because, you know, this is the the way it seems to be going. You can't just leave these gaping holes in the squad, can you? And as you say, I think there is a lot of apathy you know, maybe down here to a point now. I think people don't really protest in the way they used to. I mean, well, I wanted to ask you two about that. I mean, how do you protest? What, what, I mean, putting stuff on Twitter, you know, that's not a a protest. It's just an expression of how we feel. Um, Well, I tried to get something involved when I was involved with the supporters Alliance about five years ago. And, you know, we brought out like a free fanzine, did about 5,000 copies. Um, there, There was a march involved, but, like, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but then we beat Liverpool and we beat Arsenal and almost people wanted us to stop. And you're thinking, <laughs> this isn't the point. Like, yeah. literally, we're on about a long-term thing here. A couple of results don't paper over this, but no. they did for a lot of people. Yes. This yes. is the issue. There's another thing, and we see it in transfer windows as well, when when people say, um, like I say, there was no rumours, there was no links, whatever, and you could see Russell Martin's demeanour change from December when he was talking about January to the middle of January, talking about January. And yet you still had the same people saying, don't worry, it's where we are on February the 1st that matters. I get the point, but people will not react until it's too late. They'll, they'll wait until it's all done. And, and, and that's when it gets to that point, 
you've you've already suffered your fate. And when you can see the patterns emerging, and you see yourself going, right, we finish in the playoffs, then we finish down mid table, then we finish lower mid table, and you think, can you see what's going to happen here? It's not, we're not improving. This transfer window was the worst. Did you say there's um, a uh, board um, fans forum possibly coming up? They have um, to sell this one I th- to us. Yeah, I think there is a trust fans forum coming. I got a feeling it's going to, from what I've been told, it might not be in Swansea. It might be somewhere else, but um, right. they usually have one. So, well, the fact is, winter is going to have to face people at this. There's no way, obviously, the Americans will. But. So, <laughs> you have to, the sadist in me says, I'm glad that the Carlon Grant thing didn't go through because it, this will just be the shiny toy that any criticism anyone points towards, they go, Carlon Grant. And you go, oh, yeah, but what about Carl and Grant? Oh, this is a player. Right, it hasn't happened now, so there is no defence. And I almost feel like we needed a situation where there is no obvious and discernible defence to what's happened. It looks like, from what you're telling us and what we've read about the Carl and Grant transfer, it smacks of last-minute desperation, no planning, leaving ourselves in a position where we were dependent on a completely third-party business happening, yeah. which we were in no control over. This wasn't something that was structured over January. It's something we could have... No. The through. fact is, when when you do things like this at the deadline, on the last few hours, and it falls through, like, you've had all the months to do it. There is no excuse. No. They can point to and say, oh, yeah, West Brom pulled out on us, but, yeah, but you've had all months to do it. It's not an excuse, it's, is it? It's, it's no, you, even it's, saying it's a month to do it. I mean, they talked about as soon as one transfer window front closes, and this point. is another direct quote, Yeah, they said the work goes to the next one. Yeah. Technically, we were talking at a podcast a couple of weeks ago, Steve, saying, why are we not January the 1st going, right, X, Y, and Z, we've talked to the clubs, we've talked to the player, the only thing we couldn't do is ratify it with the FA in the league. We couldn't get it through signature-wise, but here we are, it's standing first, the window's open, let's do those signatures. Those didn't start happening at the start of the month. At we least started they never, worrying. They quite clearly never will. Have they, no. I did it, I remember looking back at it, seeing how many, um, I'm not up to date with it now, but a couple of windows ago, looking at how many deadline deals we'd done under under this ownership and it is utterly ridiculous it was something like 35 36 and it would be it would be more than that albeit not including yesterday for obvious reasons but yeah you, you go look back at those quotes and russell martin saying what we said earlier it'd be, it would be frustrating with the amount of work that we put into certain things so i don't think that was referencing you know trying to sign carl and grant um in december thinking oh yeah you know we're pushing ahead with that one and when you mentioned that about julian winter's quote you know suggesting that when the summer window ended the planning for the winter window started on september the first whatever it was again they weren't thinking of grant then so um you know a lot of time's been been wasted in that respect a lot of resources been wasted and there just is you know, I just come back to that feeling of not having any hope. Look, I'm looking forward to going Saturday because I haven't been, um, the last game I went to was Watford. I haven't been able to get to the last couple. And, um, you know, you guys know what it's like. You've been following the Swans a lot longer than me, but going to games um, isn't just about the match. It's about the social aspects of it. It's yeah. about seeing people. And that's why people, when they say like, you know, people should stop going to games. I, I know the point they're trying to make. And, and again, why I asked you two about how you protest, because, you know, I love going to the Swans with my lad. You know, it's it's like the, the highlight of my, you know, highlight of my day kind of thing. And um, I don't want to take away that experience. And I also want to support the team. 
you know, I, I want to get behind them. That doesn't mean I'm supporting the regime. I'm certainly not. Um, and I also have to say, uh, yeah, I've renewed my season ticket. Um, I, I wouldn't want to not do that. Um, but I, I really don't know that 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people not going into the stadium would make any difference to these owners. I really don't think present, it would. are they? They're no. not there to feel yeah, the pinch. I, I think the, the thing is with something like that, like a boycott, everybody has to buy into it. Yeah. In this country, it won't work. Like if you go to somewhere like Italy, you usually you can get people to buy into it. If you but, have 14,000 in there instead of 17,000 or even, you know, 12,000, it ain't really going to matter. You know, that's not going to... That's not going to have any impact. They did a protest. They were getting under 1,000, weren't they, for a couple of years. But it was only then when a football league ruling basically forced the owner to sell that, you know, they all went back. I mean, it didn't really have an impact, did it? No, but it was Charlton as well had a similar sort of thing with their old owner. And they they had real, real organised protests. I I respect these things. And I I think they, they do probably make some sort of impact. But... The reason the Blackpool was sold is because there was a rule in it. Yeah. It wasn't to do with the protests, unfortunately. It, the protests did alert people to what was going on there, but but that's know, what these, you these things don't they don't but, work. But well you know, that. do other people feel like we? Did, not everyone. That's why I said it, we used the word apathy earlier. I'm not. I'm sure. I'm sure some people out there would be like, oh, like this whole thing I get, which drives me around the bend. Well, it could be worse. At least we're not bankrupt. Oh, like, 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 yeah, like, yeah. like that help. is kind of like Maybe we were bottom of it, division four. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, oh Jesus God. God. Where are you going with that kind of line of thought? If you apply that to anything else in life, what sort of standards are you sort of setting for yourself? So, like you um, said, I think like you know we were talking about the protests from before, and I think then we beat Arsenal and Liverpool, as they say, and you know I think a lot of people only care about the on-pitch stuff, which you know I wish I could be like that because it would be a lot less you know stressful, but they do go hand in hand, and it was you know, quite- I think if people have got to like I say, and the, the likes of Cooper, we had a winning team, so a lot less people are frustrated then, aren't they? Yeah. It was, I was sorry, I was going to say, I certainly recall the Brighton game that season. Um, it's pretty toxic, wasn't it, in the in the ground? Can you remember that Brighton defeat in that? Um, oh, and the Claremont, was it? I mean, <laughs> that one. Oh, my God. It's one that of the, was, that it's was one the worst one. game I think I've ever seen on the Liberty. Yeah, that, yeah that, the amount of unforced errors. But I came up with it that day thinking... Never know. I might get a game for this club one day. The dream is not You remember the, they were calling it. We literally couldn't. That sounds ridiculous. But we were incapable of kicking the ball probably. It was just... Match of the day yeah. actually did a two or three minute segment on our set. We had six different set piece takers yeah. in that game. Oh my God. I think Fabianski went up for a corner with Key Tucker in the 93rd minute and it went across the floor. He, he couldn't get it off the floor. And he was oh, our sixth set piece taker yeah. that game. Oh. But, but I do remember, I do remember that it being pretty toxic in the stadium then because yeah. I remember thinking out you know being with my lad I thought oh this is quite a weird experience for a, a young kid but the other thing though is with this I think a lot of that was actually aimed at the old regime wasn't it mm. it's was usually aimed at Hugh Jenkins and that lot whereas I think arguably this lot have not really had it against them have they it was about the sellouts wasn't it yeah, rather it was, than yeah I'm not saying that people were in, people clearly weren't in favour of the Americans but I'm not sure if the chanting has necessarily been aimed at them. No, it was uh, you greedy, get out of our club, wasn't it? That yeah, was yeah, because he was still there as chairman, wasn't so he? You wonder if, you know, it'll come at them now on, on the weekend. It, it may do, obviously. It's not going to get aimed at those lot because they're not really involved now, are they? So No, it's... Um, yeah. You're talking, still about protests mm. and how it makes it work. Ultimately, 
2023, I think what you need to do is make a headline. It's no good. Three or four thousand people, as you say, not turning up. That'll get lost in the in in the in the fixtures and whatnot. You need to have a headline that is going to be online. It's going to be visible. Other people are going to then pick it up and go, oh, Swansea City fans have done this or whatever. It has to be an event. It has to be something you can't just not turn up for a game and have, like you say, a slightly lower crowd than you normally do. Unless you're going to get on the internet and get other clubs and other people talk about it and get that publicity across the pond to to America and stuff and make them see what is actually going on, then it's it's not going to work, is it? You're going to have to do something. But again, you've got to have the group and the numbers of people to be caring that much to take their time out to do it. And yeah. we haven't seen well, that. In the I past. think the difference was years ago. I think, you know, during the Tony Petty era, and there was before your time, Stu, in about 2001, yeah. we probably averaging crowds about three and a half thousand. But then you'd have, I think we had a march from Castle Square to the Vetch. This is, I don't know, it's probably about a 10 minute walk, and you'd have about a thousand people on the march. Now, when you're saying that's about over 30% of the crowd, it's quite a lot, isn't it? Yeah, whereas, yeah, it's different now, isn't it? It's yeah, whereas if you're at now, there was a march, and that was all it. There was about two, 250 people, maybe. Like, what's that? About 5% if you're lucky. And I'm but not, sorry, well, it's, actually, it's much less than that, isn't it? It's about yeah. 1% or 2%. And you're thinking, well, what hope have you got? I'm not advocating it, but football was different back then as well. Yeah, it, it was. was nasty down the Vetchfield, Stu. It was yeah. a point where there were people running from the opposite end of the pitch and the North Bank across the pitch to try and get at the director's box. And Tony yeah. Petty was not able to go to well, games. They had to, they had to ask him to leave. They did. They couldn't it, guarantee his safety. And we couldn't, they couldn't protect him. And it was that point it got nasty. I'm not saying let's start storming the direct. Well, they're not here anyway, are they? But yeah. in terms yeah. of football's changed, football's moved on. It's become a product. It's become a lot more of a family friendly event. And as you say, you turn up now well, you I think, for the 90 minutes. Well, like you say, I mean, if you think of the vet, I mean, the cameras are probably a lot less. So if you invaded the pitch, you'd probably get away with it. When you invade it now, you are you're getting a three-year ban anyway, at least. So it's it's just those type of things. You can't get away with the things that you, you used to do before. So you have to protest in a different way, but it's not always as easy then to no. get the headlines, is it? You know, the other thing here, guys, right, is like we're talking really passionately about this in because, uh, you know, we care about it because also we see things that are going wrong. There will be people who are Swansea fans who will look at it and think, not that bad. We're 12th. We're only a few points off the playoffs. And there will be... Oh, stop being so, so negative, boys. Certainly, certainly externally, though, as well, Matt, people not aware of what's going on, they will look and think, what's the fuss? You know, you're halfway up the championship table. You could still go up kind of thing. But I think what we've kind of talked about here is our worry is where we... The direction we see this going. And, um, and it's sort of trying to sound the alarm now Absolutely. Rather than Before wait till you get to, is that, yeah. yeah, that's the point we're making. It's not being people say, Oh, you're being negative and your glass is half empty and all that. It's just looking at this pattern is gone on continuously and it is getting worse. Um, and you can only see the shape of our squad being worse in the summer and, and thinking, if we don't arrest this sort of decline the way we're going, we're going to end up in League One, and that that is. You know, that is how I feel. And I think that word like, is completely different. I was at Wrexham Sunday and, you know, people will have their own views on the ownership there. But the, the, the feel I had in that stadium was like that optimism and hope was amazing. It was like almost tangible. The atmosphere was brilliant in there considering only 9,900 people there. And I just feel at the minute when I go along to Swansea, I'm just going along there. I don't feel hope. 
I don't feel optimism. Um, I think that's uh, the thing. You look at Wrexham and you say, like, if you ask them what, how do they feel about maybe the next decade or so, they'll be thinking, oh, well, there's going to be promotions, there's going to be, you know, exciting football, there'll be players coming in. They're on this really big upward, like, trajectory now, aren't they? Whereas you look at Swansea and you think the 10 years ago coming up, we won the League Cup. Obviously, that was, can't really get better than that. And then you go to Valencia and win top half Premier League finishes. Like, what are the next 10 years going to hold for us? Does anyone really think it's going to be, you know, better than what we've got now, mid-table championship? I don't think anyone does, do they? Well, I knew you touched upon it earlier on, Stu, and let's try, if we can, to put some sort of positivity on it, if we can. I feel like yesterday was was a watershed moment. Not getting that deal done was the, well, that deal was the bare minimum, absolutely bare minimum. To replace Oberfemi, um, was was just plugging a hole that we created for ourselves, not redressing anything that existed before the window, which was plentiful anyway. To not get that done, there's going to be some serious questions asked. There's going to be some, not just from fans inwards, it's going to be in the club as well. There's going to be Josh Marsh and Russell Martin asking questions with Julian Winter back to the Americans going, excuse my language, what the fuck has just gone on there? Yeah. And, and how are we going to deal with this? Do I want to be here in the summer in Russell Martin's case and stuff like that? My career, my reputation is dependent on the success on the pitch. Could this be a moment, in your opinion, in five years' time, where we look back and think, we know why that happened now, because they had checked out and they were and they had found someone. Can we at least look at it and think that has to be happening more actively than it was previously for this window to have occurred like it did? Gosh, when we're looking into the crystal ball, aren't we? I, I, I don't know, Matt. I, I honestly don't know, because they're so hard to read with um, how they view this football club. Um, in terms of... I mean... We're crying out for someone to to come in and buy the club, but I look at it and I just can't see that being. It's quite plausible. <laughs> this has gone the other way now that they could be hanging around here for another five, ten years. You know, who who is gonna who is gonna buy them out of this of this of this mess? Um, and the thing is, look, we're not gonna get someone, are we? Unless unless um you know um unless something highly unlikely happens, someone's not, a billionaire's not going to come along and buy Swansea City and start throwing loads of money at it. But I'd, I'd just like to see someone who actually is personally invested emotionally in the club, someone who actually cares about it and um, and wants to be there at a game. So they don't have to be there all the time, but just give you that feel that actually this isn't just some business transaction. Um, and I'm not going back to the days of old school chairman, the local businessman who owned the club. That's gone. But just someone who actually um, sees owning and running the football club as, as something really, really important and um, and cares about the, the supporters, the community. And I just feel we don't have any of that under under this regime. Um, and I don't even know how much they'll care about the backlash that will follow all of this now. Um they won't obviously see it physically. They won't be at the matches. And I can just imagine them sort of um, turning a deaf ear to it all, really. And that's where you just feel quite quite helpless, I guess. Yeah, this is quite a sobering thought, isn't it? But you're looking at it, and it is the club we've, grew, we've grown up with, we, we love, and we kind of follow home and away and put a lot of money into and stuff like that. And you, you look at it going, these people here who've treated it as it is, 
an investment fund. They've come in, they've looked to make a profit on it. I mean, what they buy it for? 68% for 68 million. Was that round about the figures they bought it for? Like I mean, they'd be lucky to get half. Yeah. You know, if you were going to sell their 68% now, would they look at 32, 33 million? The club needs heavy investment. There are loan notes left, right, and centre that can be converted into shares and whatnot. People who have shown increasing levels of apathy around the club and stuff. You can't come in here and go like it was when Hugh Jenkins and co. were running the place and say, this is a ready-made product. You come in here, you buy it off us, and here you have it all finished. It comes in here and it needs work. And you probably, as you say, still, you've got a manager who may or may not want to be here in the summer. And if that situation comes and we talk again in six months' time, we could be in a whole world of pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I do think, um, who knows, you might be right, Matt, that maybe this is a watershed moment, but... Um... Yeah, I don't. It's awful because like, you should really be looking forward to that second half of the season and thinking, oh, can we kick on now? Whereas almost I'm thinking we're just going to be going through the motions and my mind's really going to be on the summer and thinking, you know, will Russell Martin still be here? What on earth will the squad look like then? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 really hard um, to to sort of get yourself up for, for what is to come. But I go back to my point that I said earlier, you know, going to watch the swans um you know you're not you're not going to win champions leagues and <laughs> league titles and you know you guys were lucky enough to see a league cup win a few years ago and um what i'm trying to say is the match day experience is about much more than than the 90 minutes of uh, 90 minutes of football so i'll still be along there with my lab whenever i can get there um but i'd just love to think love to think in the next couple of years we'd have um we'd have new owners in um and new owners who are personally invested in the football club. I'm not talking money. I'm talking uh, just care about it, really. Well, and like you say, just want someone that wants to make decisions that are in the best interests of the club. You know, nobody will ever mind us like selling players or you know, and then looking to maybe reinvest that in the team and you know, sometimes taking that like step back to take two steps forward. But just feels like there's nothing to look forward to really doesn't it i mean <laughs> and like we're just on this negative trajectory as i've said and it will take time to really get there but where's the hope in between if you know what i mean just i know it's frustrating i know he was a fantastic uh man at his job anyway but i i, I look back on the that year we had or so with uh trevor birch here and he had no affiliation to the club he had nothing he came in though and it wasn't just about him being savvy in the transfer market and getting top dollar for players he got it he turning up in the way ends in the concourses buying drinks for all the fans who turned up and stuff like that and little things that little i know he was actually in the as in the ownership i think he actually might have got shares at the end of it didn't he i think that was part of it but um just just getting that relationship between the fans and the ownership again because they're ghosts out in America. They, they may as well just be names yeah. on a sheet. They don't care for them. They don't care for us. That's clear as day. Um, and just to have someone, small gestures, just to show I know that a lot of you, especially nowadays, not to get political, whatever, but we're on hard times at the moment and stuff. Yeah. Yet you turn up on a Saturday, you sing your voice out, you know, you you help you buy a pint in the, in the concourse and stuff like that, and you help generate this club and keep it going, keep that feel going of we look forward, as you say, Stu, to a Saturday afternoon together. Um, and, and he got that. He got that in spades, and he knew how to 
not he knew how to react and interact with the with the with the fans. And yeah, it, he started doing the regular statements, for example, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, things the like that. Club, club website, but which and he was moment. honest. Yeah, that's the thing. He, he didn't lie. He just said, "Look, there will be tough decisions that need to be made, and that's all he wants. You don't want someone that's going to bullshit because we've just had it in this window, haven't we? And it's yeah, He couldn't believe Steve Trevor that those statements like went down so well, purely in the sense that he was like, "Well, I'm only saying what's happening." And I was like, "Yeah, but no one's said what happened was oh. happened before, Trevor. <laughs> we didn't hear anything." And and so you know he was he was staggered by that and I, I had you know a number of chats with him over time I remember him telling me that he was absolutely appalled by all the deadline day deals that had gone before obviously I um, I'm recalling now he came in obviously well Hughes parting gift was keeping Dan James wasn't it in that farce yeah. of all that and you know he he'd looked back as well he'd gone back further Trevor to look at the you know the IU deal in the in the in the last Premier League season in January and and he said you know those deadline day deals were not would not happen on my watch. He just thought that really smacked of, um, it made the club look, you know, look, look completely, uh, um, disorganized really. And, and so, yeah, I agree with everything you said about him when he was there. I also felt that he was not afraid to challenge the owners. That's the thing. Mm. I felt, I felt he was going to make sure that good decisions were made and decisions that reflected well on Swansea football club. And because he was, um, cause he was part of that, he he was really determined that um, yeah we we wouldn't be doing the kind of things that we did before and I have to say the kind of things that we're doing again now um, he just wouldn't have put up yeah, with that. I was going to say about this. You know we're on about so many bad transfer windows, but it did feel like the summer that he was here and the January were far far better organised. Totally. Like, and you think with of the fees coming in and going. It just made a lot more sense. I don't think there were really any deadline day deals particularly at that point he, he just got himself in order I know he wanted AU and Baston to go for example but then when we sold others and we couldn't get decent deals for them he did allow for them to be reintegrated it, it just it was just far more slick professional sensible and what you're looking for and I mean if I ever won the Euro Billions and bought the club the first thing I would do is phone him and say <laughs> job for you as chief exec we name your price we need you in through the door because I think he was someone that everybody really trusted and believed in wasn't he he was, he was, and he, and he got the club. And actually, whenever you, when I speak to anyone about who's been through Swansea's work there, um, you know, it's kind of senior levels. They all have such good things to say about the club and the people working in the club and the fans. And it doesn't feel hollow that. It feels really, really genuine. Um, and I think that's what disappoints people as well, those same people, because they think, God, there's so much good about this place. There really is. There's people who... Are absolutely devoted to this football club. We've worked there for years, and um, and you know a great fan base as well. What the two thousand three hundred of you at QPR the other week? You know mm. the travelling that the Swans fans do, and yet you know the thing holding it all back is is the is the dreadful decision making at the top. And um, yeah, um, if you have if you haven't got people, and I know it's not easy, if you haven't got people really challenging that. Um, prepared to stand up to it and I'm not talking about the manager here to be clear then then I think you know that becomes another issue as well so uh yeah well Ian, Ian, Ian Mitchell Moore wrote um wrote a really scathing piece for Wales Online which I'm sure more, a lot of people listening will have already read but if you haven't do read it it's about dead like they was about the transfer window in the hole and the deals which we just didn't get over the line um and one PC put in there um was that um, the long-term effects of 
pissing these clubs off, constantly going back on our deals, on back on our words, things that were agreed, changing our mind last minute and stuff. And the the knock on effect that will have in the future. And that's the that's the danger, isn't it? You talk about our reputation outside and stuff like that, and Swansea being that lovely club and the family club and stuff like that. And when it gets to a business side then and other people in the business sector are looking at it and they're just thinking don't deal. If you've got two offers on the table, take the one that is in Swansea because you're just going to be messed about for weeks on yeah, end. Yeah, I think that's what people will do. If there's like a bid in war, they'll go, right, just discard Swansea because they'll they'll mess us about. And, you know, that's horrendous really when you think about it because, you know, there's a lot of clubs we've probably wound up now, isn't it, the last few years. So that's just the ones that we know about. Who's to know if, if there's other ones as well? And, you know, let's be honest, in football, we all know the score. People talk in the same way that when we were doing terrible deals on deadline day, there would have been clubs put it in horrendous offers on deadline day thinking this lot will fold and we'll accept a terrible well, we deal. We did a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, you know, it's, it's very amateurish it? and it's, it's going to cost us in the long term. Guys, before we finish, give me some positivity <laughs> to go on. <laughs> give me something. We, I know we're looking forward to... We might win on Saturday. We probably will now, won't we? We'll probably give them a thump and we'll all be happy and rosy in the garden for a lot of the fans again. But... Um, this is what you say. We we going out. We will have a couple of drinks on Saturday, won't we? And I think the the thing about going to a football match will remain no matter what happens. Doesn't matter what what level you're at, really. No, either. it doesn't, does it? Does it? As we know, my first eight of my first nine season tickets were in League Two, so yeah. You know, and I never thought we'd get that much higher than that. So yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talk about the positivity that we could end up in League Two. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. No. Um, Look, uh, thank you so much, Stu, for joining. Um, we'll have to wrap it up now. We could talk all night about this because it really is a shambles at the moment off the pitch at the club. It's not that great on the pitch, but we can for this one, we can let that go for exactly what we've experienced over the last 30 days or so. Um, that's it from us for this transfer window special of the Jackcast. Again, thanks. Again, massive thanks, Stu, for taking the time to join us. Uh, we'll be pleasure. back in a week or so to try and get back to matters on the pitch. But now I'm going to take a long lie down in a dark room <laughs> and wonder if there's ever going to be a time when supporting Swansea is just going to be boring. Probably not. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.